Friends, our scripture, we've got two today. Uh, One is from Genesis and the other from Romans. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. For this reason, the promise depends on faith, in order that it may rest on grace, so that it may be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many great nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, we're in the midst of a season of Lent. And on Wednesday, I think this is so cool that this community does this. We have... Lent lunches on Wednesdays at noon, where we meet in a different church and a different pastor gets to preach in that sanctuary. Uh, so this Wednesday, we met at noon in Presbyterian, and I got to preach that, and I shared some thoughts that I was told might be helpful to those who didn't attend, which I think is probably most of us. And to those of you who came on Wednesday, some of you are about to hear what sounds probably familiar, but I can't tell you how many times I've watched the movie Ghostbusters, and I still get something out of it every time I watch it. So sometimes the familiar is okay, I promise. (laughs) But first I want to do a quick history lesson on Lent. The season of Lent goes back really, really far. A fast before Easter was recorded as occurring in the second century by Irenaeus of Lyons and Tertullian. You know them. At that time, the fast was to last about 40 hours. And as Lent observance grew, at one point it reached six days and then three weeks. And only after 325... At the Council of Nicaea, did the Lenten fast become fixed at 40 days? It became that way partly because there were lots of people wanting to be baptized and the leadership wanted adequate time to prepare them. But another reason is that some saw waning zeal in Christians. Christians, in other words, weren't excited and enthusiastic anymore now that Christianity was legal in the empire. And these leaders thought that extending the fast would ignite that hunger, I guess. But from the beginning, people took Lent seriously. Athanasius of Alexandria in 339 said, the whole world should observe Lent. And St. Augustine, who was always real serious, said, it is a sin if you do not fast during Lent. Okay, all right. Well, when I was in elementary school, I took Lent about as seriously as St. Augustine. 
I'm not sure why. I probably had some Sunday school teachers that helped. I, I, maybe it had something to do with the competitive nature that existed in my family. I don't know if there are families like that in here, but my sister and I would fight over everything, over who could run up the steps faster, who got to press the button on the elevator. I don't know if some of you do that. Uh, so it might have been only natural that Haley and I would find a way uh, to compete in Lent. Whatever the case, Lent was exciting for us because year after year, I found myself trying to figure out, like, what is it going to be this year? Like, what am I going to give up? Uh, and how, how am I going to stick with it? Am I going to make it? <laughs> and I remember one year in particular, I gave up one of the most precious things that could exist for a kid at my age, and that was the Happy Meal. Now, if that doesn't seem like a big deal, allow me to remind you what kids' meals at fast food establishments were like in the 90s. It was a legendary decade for children, specifically for the toys that came in those Happy Meals. We were in the midst of the Disney Renaissance, with The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Tarzan. It was the age of Beanie Babies, of which I believe my mom still has a bunch of those in trash bags somewhere in the basement. And the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, it was great. And I know that, that a lot of folks, many folks think their growing up was the best, um, but mine was. And all of these epic 90s staples found ways to partner with fast food chains to bring us the best cheap plastic made in China toys you've ever seen. I mean, everything from the Disney Hercules plastic plates you could get to 101 Dalmatians released all 101 Dalmatians, like all of them, <laughs> as toys. I don't know if you can count, but that's 101. Uh, you get it. <laughs> and I got it. Even at my almost double-digit age at the time, I knew that this was going to be a hard Lent, a Lent unlike any other. I wasn't just giving up burger and fries and a cool box. I was giving up once-in-a-lifetime collectibles, but I believed in myself. And I knew I could do it with the help of Jesus. And the first week went by, second, no problem, third, fourth, fifth, sailing through. Of course, it helped that I was years from driving a car and I had to rely on my parents for food and shelter and things like that. And we were closing in on Easter and it was Palm Sunday and my great aunt, Aunt Betty, she came to see us. And for me and my sister, Haley, great Aunt Betty, we, we didn't get to see her a lot. And we were super excited. She'd come down. She lived in Hendersonville, just north of Nashville. And she came down to visit us. And whenever she came, it was pretty rare, she brought gifts. She gave us attention. <laughs> she made us feel special. And she talked to us like we were adults, which I thought, that was pretty cool. And after church was over, Betty told my parents, she asked them, hey, can I take Haley and Andrew to lunch? And we were like, what? Really? My parents were like, what? <laughs> really? And never before or since had that three, those three, me, my sister, and Aunt Betty, been together uh, and alone and at a meal together. So it was exciting. So we got in Betty's car, and we drove off joyfully to whatever magical destination she would take us. And then she put on the blinker, and I saw where we were going. This is the conflict of the story. We were at McDonald's where any day can be a McDonald's day. I didn't know quite what to do. My little mind was racing. What about my covenant? My Lenten fast? I gave up fast food. I gave up Happy Meals. What was I going to do? Should I tell her that I can't eat here? Should I tell her I gave up this kind of thing for Lent? Would she abandon the whole thing and just take us back home? <laughs> or should I keep quiet, order the meal, pocket the toy, pretend nothing happened? What was more important here, keeping up my observance of Lent or hanging
hanging out with Aunt Betty, who we never got to spend time with, just the three of us. This, it was a heavy theological conflict. Of course, this is, interestingly enough, this is not unlike Paul's conversation with the church in Rome, not to mention many of the early churches in the New Testament. Paul is writing to people who are trying to figure out how to prioritize things, how to prioritize their faith, their life, their religion. And Paul says to them, before the passage we read, he says to them early in the letter, religious observances are great. But if you don't follow God, like, does it matter? That's the Andrew Chapel translation. Would you imagine that it actually matters who you are? God might actually care about your heart. God might actually care about your intention. The great theologian and preacher Connor Bell put it this way on Ash Wednesday. The what is important, but not at the expense of the why. What we do matters, but as a response to God. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. But what about Father Abraham? Wasn't it all about what he did for God? No, Paul says. God didn't enter into Abraham's story. Abraham just happened to enter into God's story. Abraham trusted in God. He had faith in God, and that was where his priority was. God made a promise. God kept that promise. Abraham is our father in the eyes of God, in whom he had faith, in whom he had trust, And that faith and trust in God does not happen without relationship. It's hard to have faith and trust in somebody without a relationship. Bob Goff, an author and speaker, says, I think God made people so that no one has to be alone for very long. In other words, we're made for relationship. We are created for it. And we are created out of relationship, out of the abundance of the Trinity, which is God in relationship with God. (laughs) We're created out of that. And in the beginning, God created the world and everything in it and humanity. Every human being was created in the image of God. And what is that image? Some say it's our conscience. Some say it's our ability to be creative. Some say it's our ability to reason. John Wesley mentioned that the image of God resides not so much in the creature as in the way the creature lives out his or her relation to the Creator. Using whatever gifts and capacities have been received to be in communion with its source and to reflect that source to the world. What that means to me is this. A religious ritual or observance is only as good as its ability to cultivate a relationship with God and with one another. A ritual observance is only as good as its ability to cultivate a relationship with God and with one another. Jesus was on to this one day. He was headed to somebody's house. It was the Sabbath, and he was going to eat a meal. And he saw a man who needed some help. He was sick. And Jesus heard the question before he got the question. So he looked at the religious leaders around him, and he said, is it lawful to help people, to cure people on the Sabbath, on this day of religious observance, or, or not? And the religious folks were silent. So, Jesus healed the man. And Jesus looked back at those leaders and said, so, let me get this straight, if one of you has a child, or or say one of you has an ox or a sheep that has fallen into a ditch, even if it's on the Sabbath, wouldn't you immediately get them out? Would you even stop to think about your religious observance, or would you just simply get them out of there? (laughs) I'm pretty sure... I'm betting, I'm pretty sure that Jesus knows the importance of Sabbath, of religious observance. 
And I'm, I'm sure Jesus knows the greater importance of relationship of people, and he is constantly and ever so willing to sacrifice one for the other. So, if you're still wondering, when Aunt Betty asked me what I wanted to eat, I said a Happy Meal. And that was that. Of course, I sat there eating it, just going, what have I done? But years later, I was in a hospital room with Aunt Betty. She had cancer, and she, she didn't have much time left. I remember I gave her a hug. I told her, I love you, and she said, I love you too. And the next time, I was up in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We celebrated her life. And I, I sat at her memorial service, thinking of the memories I'd had with my Aunt Betty over the years about graduations and birthdays and Thanksgivings. And, of course, I sat there in the middle of her service thinking about that one day during Lent, when Betty took me and my sister to McDonald's and I broke my fast for the sake, I think, of something greater. And I would do it again. I love the season of Lent. The Christian calendar adds significance to our days. Our practices of piety are truly works of mercy and grace that God uses to work in our hearts and to pour grace into us, giving up something for Lent is helpful. But please don't you dare forget that all of this is for the sake of building faith and trust and relationship with our God and with one another. After all, there is no greater command than this, to love God and to love neighbor. I think somebody important told us that every bit of the law, every bit of who we are is summed up right there. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks today for a way, for manners of ordering our days to understand meaning and life and relationship with you in a different way. But God, as we come to the table in a moment, remind us that it is all about knowing you and finding you in one another. And that is the priority, God. Every bit of the law is summed up in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I invite you now.